John 13. We're going to read only a short passage. Verse 33 to verse 35. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We are so grateful to be here this morning. We're grateful, Lord, to sing your praises this morning, to lay our requests before you. And we're grateful, Lord, that you are the God that you are because we want to praise you. And we are so thankful, Lord, that you're the God who cares for us every second. And Lord, we thank you so much for this precious time that we have right now to read your word, to hear your word, to hear from Jesus. Lord, help us to see how precious that is. And I pray, Lord, that as we consider the new commandment of Jesus this morning, I pray that you would help us to think about that, help us to understand, expand our horizon, Lord, and fill us with your spirit, and fill us afresh this morning with remembrance and understanding and awe at who you are. And Father, I just ask that you would help me and take this time we commit it to you, Lord, for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Judas has just left the upper room, leaving Jesus alone with the eleven, his authentic disciples. We're jumping right into the middle of the story. We saw that the betrayal of Judas caused Jesus great distress. If you look again at verse 21, Jesus announced to his disciples that night as they were having their dinner, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And when he said it, he became troubled in spirit. So he became distressed. And, and last week we talked about the betrayal. We talked about his trouble. And even though it was foreknown by God, even though it was planned by God, it was a part of the plan, it was still painful for Jesus to be betrayed by his friend and by his loved one, and it was still painful what he was being betrayed into, right? He was troubled because his friend was betraying him into the crucifixion, and not only was he going to suffer physical crucifixion, which is the worst way anyone could die, That's if you could... If you knew what crucifixion was, you would say, that's the worst way, I would never want to die that way, right? But more than that, he was also going to be bearing our sin and taking the cup of 
the punishment and the wrath that we deserve. And that was painful too. Even though it's a part of God's plan, even though he knows it's foreknown, even though he knows the resurrection's on the other side, it caused him pain. But if Judas going out brought him distress, in another way, it also brought him gladness because now Jesus, for the first time in a very long time, was alone with his true disciples. And he's one step closer to glory. The writer A.B. Bruce comments, Jesus was thankful for the departure of the traitor. It took a burden off of his heart and allowed him to breathe and to speak freely. And if it brought him in the first place near to his last sufferings, it brought him also near to the ulterior joy of resurrection and exaltation. So I'm sure in Jesus there's this, there's this pain, but there's also this joy. Now he's with his disciples his authentic disciples. And you have this striking contrast in the text that I think John wants us to see. You've got Judas, full of Satan, full of the devil, all by himself in the darkness, going off to do some evil deed, right? Running after evil in the night, alone. And in contrast with that, you've got the community of Jesus and his disciples together, Together in this lit upper room in the light, Jesus is full of God and he's conversing with his disciples about love and about truth. What a contrast, eh? To see Judas running through the streets full of the devil and to see Jesus there with his disciples. And brothers and sisters, John invites us into this holy moment and the sacred setting of Jesus alone with his small band of disciples. And we are unspeakably privileged to have this record. We get to step into this moment right before his death where Jesus is alone with his authentic disciples and he shares with them his heart. We get to see and hear and witness what takes place between Jesus and his authentic disciples at that moment. And it's an amazing thing. So we should always approach the whole Bible, but especially moments like this in the Bible with great reverence and anticipation and honor to be here. Do you see what an honor it is that we're sitting there in the upper room with Jesus right now? And he's about to speak. And what do we see when we look into the upper room right after, Jesus, right after Judas left the room? What do we see? Well, we see Jesus gives his disciples the new commandment. The new commandment. Love one another. If you understand the moment, you'll understand what a significant commandment this really is, given at the time that he gives it. It is the heart of the passage that we read this morning, but it's also the heart of the whole farewell discourse that runs right through to chapter 17, this new commandment to love one another. Not only does Jesus start the farewell discourse with the new commandment, but the new commandment undergirds the entire farewell discourse and resurfaces again and again, and it culminates in Jesus' prayer to the Father, doesn't it? Do you remember how the prayer to the Father, how that goes and how it ends? He's basically praying that the disciples would be united and filled with his love, right? So this new commandment is a really, really big deal. It's what Jesus wants to convey to his authentic disciples right at the end. So brothers and sisters, I can't overstate 
how important the new commandment is to God. And yet I'm afraid that Christians don't often make much of the new commandment. I mean, ask yourself in your own life, what place does the new commandment have in your life, in your mind, in your heart? Does it loom large or does it kind of only crop up into your attention when a pastor preaches on it, right? Why do we not make much of the new commandment? I think for this reason. We tend to think that the new commandment is just a reiteration of the old commandment. Love one another. What is Jesus telling us to do? He's telling us to love. Oh, that's old news, right? We've been told to love for a long time. Because the law told us to love. And so, as, that's great, Jesus, but we already knew that. So we don't get what Jesus is really doing and what he's saying. Because it's like, yeah, yeah, got it, Jesus, love. You're telling us to do that again, right? And another reason I think we don't make much of it is because we fail at the old commandment, right? <laughs> we fail at loving the, our neighbor. We fail at doing that. And so it's not something we like to think much about. If we think about it, we think about how we fail it. And then, of course, we realize, I fail it, but the gospel's there for failures, and I'm saved by grace, and that's what I need to remember and rejoice in. So the new, the new commandment, yeah, it's beautiful, it's there, but it's just a reiteration of the old. And when we think like that, then the, the new commandment doesn't become important or meaningful to us, right? And when we think like that, brothers and sisters, I'd like to tell you that you're completely missing what the new commandment is all about. This is huge. This is essential. And this is different than the old commandment. So this morning, I'd like us to think about the new commandment that Jesus gave to his disciples and to us. And I preface this sermon by saying, there is a lot to say. There is a lot more that I can say in one sermon. So please understand, lots of questions will probably be raised in your mind this morning. But think of this as an introduction to begin to get us to think in a new way, in a biblical way about what the new commandment is. So I've divided the sermon up into three sections. Number one, we'll look at verse 33, and we'll consider the, the reason for the new commandment. What's the context? What's the occasion? What is the reason Jesus now gives this commandment? And we'll consider that in verse 33. Secondly, we'll look at verse 34 and 35, and we'll discuss the meaning of the new commandment. And then I'll just briefly close with, a, with an exhortation for us today to love one another. So first, the reason for the new commandment. Now verse 33 begins this way. Jesus refers to his authentic disciples not simply as children, but as what? Little children. He doesn't just say children. He says little children. And those are two different words in the Greek. If he wanted to just say children, he could have said technia. But if he wanted to say little children, he said technion. Actually, he wasn't speaking Greek, but that's what John is communicating to us. That's the essence of what he was saying, technion. And what's interesting about this statement, little children, 
is that this is the first time in the Gospel of John he uses that, that term, and it's the only time in the Gospel of John he uses that term. Now, that doesn't mean Jesus never used that term on any other occasion, but as we think about the Gospel of John, we realize, wow, this is the only place John points out that Jesus said, little children. It's unique, and its uniqueness heightens its significance. So we need to ask, wow, this is unique. What's going on here that's unique? It's a term of endearment. My dad and I were talking recently, and dad, you told me recently that the Portuguese um, often speak with terms of endearment, and they'll take common words and they'll put a little, what was it, dad, inu on the end of it? Zinu, zinu. They'll put, they'll kind of tag zinu on the end of a term, which kind of makes it a term of endearment. So if they're calling you something like, instead of saying Kevin, we'd say Kevin zinu. <laughs> and it's like a term of endearment. That's exactly what's going on here. G. Campbell Morgan points out, it is a word of infinite tenderness. Do you see that? So we can see something about how Jesus was, right? He was tender. He looked at his disciples with endearment and spoke of them with endearment. He loved them. Morgan says, it was a word of infinite tenderness and always a word that recognized peril and the necessity for care over the little ones. So it's not only expressing how much affection he has for them, but how much compassion he has for them. Your little children in this crazy, messed up world where the devil's like a roaring lion, right? So it's affection. I love you. I care for you. And I have compassion for you, little ones. I, I, I have compassion for your fear, for your plight. Now what prompts Jesus to speak to them like this? And we see in verse 33, he says, Next, little children, I am with you a little while longer. In other words, he says this and he's, he's thinking now about the fact that he's leaving them and he's expressing how much he loves them. You ever feel like you love somebody more when they're leaving, right? He loves them and he's sad that they're going and he, furthermore, he... He's sad that he's going, but furthermore, he is, he is aware that they are sad and disheartened to hear that he is leaving, right? I mean, it's interesting how Jesus announces he's leaving, and that's all they can ask about. Where are you going? Where are you going? Why can't we go? You know? And he, he understands that about them, that they're sad as well. He knows they're weak. He knows they're sheep. He knows they need a shepherd. And he knows that without grace, there's no way that they can stand. And it's the exact same with us, isn't it? We are weak. We're sheep. We need help. And if we don't have grace, we can't stand. And that's why he calls them little children. Calvin, I like what he says here. Calvin says, In calling them little children, he shows by that gentle appellation that his reason for departing from them is not that he cares little about their welfare, for he loves them very tenderly. It's a good observation, isn't it? He's not leaving because he doesn't like them. And we can, we can see from this, uh, this continued truth that the fact that Jesus is still gone, he's still absent, 
And the fact that it seems like he's delaying his coming is not because he doesn't love you and not because he doesn't love us, right? He's like, little children, I'm leaving you. <laughs> Wait, I thought if you really loved me, you'd be here, right? No, that's not how it works with Jesus. Now, Jesus points out to them uh, something similar that he said to the Jews. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, now I say also to you, where I am going, you cannot come. And so he said that to the Jews, and he's saying, you know, I said that to the Jews, and that's also true for you disciples. You're going to want to be with me. You're going to seek me, but you can't come. However, there's some major differences between what he said to the Jews and what he said to his disciples, right? If you um, turn with me to John chapter 8, 21, here's where he says to the Jews this. He also says the same thing in chapter 7, but we'll just look at chapter 8, verse 21. Jesus says two things to the unbelieving Jews that he does not say to his believing disciples. Number one, here he says in verse 21 of chapter 8, he said again to them, I go away and you will seek me and will die in your sins. Now, thankfully, that's not what Jesus said to his disciples, right? What did he say to his disciples? Chapter 14, verse 9, in the farewell discourse, he goes on to say, because I live, you will live also, right? But to the Jews, he says, because you don't believe it, I'm leaving. I'm leaving and you who hate me will be looking for me. You who love me will be looking for me. But you who hate me will die in your sins. You who love me will live because I live. And the other thing he says to them, the Jews, that he doesn't say to the disciples, is he says to them, you cannot come, period. Where I am going, you cannot come, end of story. But to the disciples, he says, you cannot come now. And if you go back to chapter 13, in verse 36, Jesus says to Peter, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me later. So there's, there is a time when they will be with him. When Jesus leaves the unbelievers, he leaves and they are separated forever. But when Jesus leaves his disciples, he says this, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. Amen? Isn't that awesome? So he loves us. He's not gone because he doesn't love us. And he's actually preparing that place for us so we can be together forever. For the believer, separation from Christ is temporary and the results are everlasting. Isn't that awesome? Where is Jesus going? Not only to the cross, but to the Father. Or another way of seeing that is not only to the cross, but he's also going into his resurrection and into his glory. And we have yet to follow him there, don't we? Yeah. We have yet to follow Jesus in the resurrection. And it's interesting in, in Luke chapter 24, this is after Jesus has risen from the dead. And in Luke, Jesus is now resurrected. He's in a perfect body and he's disappearing all the time, right? He's, he's still with them, but he's kind of showing up and leaving and showing up and leaving. And Hey, that was Jesus, wasn't it? Thomas, we saw Jesus. You did? Yeah. 
And in Luke 24, verse 44, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, this is what I was telling you when I was with you. And the sense is that he's not with them really anymore. When I was with you, when I was 24-7 always there with you, eating and sleeping and everything, and I was sharing in your life, in your infirmity, you now share in my life, but it's hidden. And we're not with each other in the same way. But we will be, not now, but later, because we are his. So this, is the, this brings us to the reason for the new commandment and the entire farewell discourse. It is because Jesus is leaving and it is because Jesus loves his people that Jesus gives us his parting instructions for us when he is absent. He loves you. He's affectionate towards you. He's compassionate towards you because of the situation we're in. And he's leaving. And so he gives us our parting instructions for his absence. And he gives us the new commandment. In other words, Jesus is showing them how to live in his absence. What will we do while you're gone? Love one another. How will we be protected and cared for in your absence? Love one another. How will we relate to you in your absence? Love one another. That is the new commandment that he gives because he's leaving and because he loves us. So it's not arbitrary. I hope you see that. It's not just that Jesus is walking down the road one day and he's not really thinking about anything. And then all of a sudden he goes, oh, I had a new commandment to give you. (laughs) Right? But he's leaving and he's leaving this with us. RVG Tasker says, in obeying Christ's new commandment, the disciples will find the sting of separation drawn. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? The sting of separation drawn. Perhaps not the pain of separation, but maybe the power and the poison of being separated is gone because we have one another and we are to love one another. Elsewhere in the farewell discourse, Jesus leaves us his peace right? My peace I give you. Elsewhere, he leaves us his joy, that my joy may be in you. And here he leaves us his love, that we might have his love among us. Isn't that awesome? So he's gone, but we have his peace, we have his joy, and we have his love, because Christ continues to love us and care for us through the love of his people for one another. And furthermore, we continue to love Christ. We continue to love Christ through our love for one another. So Jesus is saying, even though I'm going, it's not that you're not going to be experiencing my peace and my joy and my love, and it's not that you can't love me anymore. You can still love me, and I can still love you through my people. In fact, this is such an important commandment in his absence that in Matthew 25, Jesus says that when he returns in glory with his angels, he will judge people based upon whether they loved the brothers or not in his absence. And as much as you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me.
This is our mandate in his absence. Love one another. And it is our blessed tie that binds us to Christ, our love for one another. I was looking up that hymn, the blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. Love one another. I'm leaving you, and I love you, and this is my mandate for you. This is the love that I leave with you. So little children, love one another. Little children. Because I love you, I'm telling you that. And because I care for you and I'm compassionate, I'm telling you that. Love one another. So that's the occasion. That's the context. That's the reason for the new commandment. I hope you think about that as you think about the new commandment, that that's the setting. It's not arbitrary. It's not out of the blue. Number two, what is the meaning of the new commandment? And my goal this morning is not merely to teach what the new commandment means, but to exhort us to do it. But before I can exhort us to do it, we have to know what it means. What does it mean to love one another? What does it mean to love one another? Now, it seems straightforward, doesn't it? Love one another. And I can just hear somebody telling me, Eli, don't complicate it, right? Just love one another. That's all. It's not supposed to be complicated, Eli. Three words. We can all understand. But if you consider upon closer inspection, it becomes a little bit more tricky. And let me just kind of draw out why it's a little bit more tricky than that person might think. How is it a new commandment? I mean, if we just take it kind of on the surface, it's just a command to love, just whatever, just love everybody. How is that new? How does that show you're a disciple? I mean, if it's just love, it's straightforward, just be nice to each other and everyone will know you're Christians. How do we explain the clause, love one another as I have loved you? Does that change our understanding of love one another? Does that bring in more? And what does it mean as he has loved us? How, do, how are we to love each other as Christ has loved, loved us? And furthermore, why does it seem limited to Christians only? Why does it seem exclusive? Why is it not love everybody? What's the reason for the limitation? So you see, it gets a little bit more complicated at closer inspection. It's not uncommon for readers of the, of the Gospel of John to miss that limitation and exclusivity. Many readers of the Gospel of John um, think this is ultimately the same as love your neighbor as yourself, as I mentioned before. And so they don't really see the complexity of it. I found, though, that most commentators and most scholars of the Gospel of John recognize the limited nature of this commandment, that it is not just love your neighbor as yourself, but it is actually love the disciples of Jesus, love the Christians, love the brothers. And so most commentators recognize it isn't exactly love your neighbor as you love yourself. There is something new to this. But those same commentators, many of them struggle with the very limitation. They recognize it's limited, but then they struggle with that because it seems less charitable and less big-hearted. Why would Jesus, on the, on the eve before he departs, tell us to love, but then limit it only to some? 
And they often set that, up, set that against the Old Commandment. They say the Old Commandment seems more magnanimous and big-hearted than this one, doesn't it? You ever got that sense? The Good Samaritan is more beautiful than love one another, right? Love your enemies seems more Christian than love one another. Well, love one another is clicky. It's, you know, doesn't sound like Jesus elsewhere. So they struggle with it. They recognize the limited nature of it, but why is that limited? And it's interesting the answers they come up with. One of the foremost scholars in, the, in, in John's literature, he, he explained it this way, that the new commandment is qualitatively the same as the old commandment. It's, it's really saying the same thing. Love your neighbor as yourself. But here's why Jesus limits it. Because you can't claim to love everybody if you cannot even love those who are closest to you. Right? So Jesus is not saying love one another and not everybody else. He's just saying you should love everybody, but you know, that's going to look like loving the people closest to you first. And if you can't love the people closest to you first, then how can you claim to love everybody? In Peanuts, Linus says, I love mankind. It's people I can't stand. Right? <laughs> and so this scholar is saying, maybe that's all Jesus is doing. He's, he's saying, you know, the old, the old commandment is the commandment to love everybody, but Jesus is just making it more realistic and saying, look, you've got you to gotta start at home. That's all this is. It's not at odds with the old commandment to love the neighbor. What do you think? The top scholar today, by the way. Now, if that's true, we got to start at home loving our neighbor, start with the people closest to us. How do you measure that? First of all, do any of us love the people closest to us, or even let's just say the Christians in our little local church? Do any of us love our fellow Christians? as we love ourselves? Can we even say that the old commandment has been fulfilled at that scale in our lives? Can any of us say that we have loved our fellow Christians as Christ has loved us? If we're considering the degree to which Jesus loved us, perfectly, selflessly, sacrificially, entirely, can we say that we've fulfilled the new com commandment if we think about it in those terms? If we, if we argue that the standard is not so high, you don't have to be perfect, you just got to have a lot of kindness. Does that mean that non-Christians who love those who are close to them are the disciples of Christ? Because we can find non-Christians who are clicky, and we can find non-Christians who love their family members and love their little communities and, and it, you know, demonstrate kindness and compassion towards one another. By this all men will know that you're my disciples if you love your neighbor as you love yourself and the ones closest to you and know it doesn't need to be perfect. Well, does that mean non-Christians are his disciples too? And a lot of liberals slip into that mindset. Wherever there's love, there is Christ and it doesn't matter if you're Christian or not. As long as everybody's kind of just being loving that's what Jesus was talking about in the New Commandment. That's, that's the essence of Christianity right there. Just everybody love each other, get along. That's how you know you're a disciple of Christ. And so there's Hindus that are more disciples of Christ than Christians, right? 
Is that what Jesus is saying? So my point here, brothers and sisters, is if we think of the new commandment as somehow the old commandment in some way, and we raise the standard to perfection, no one is a disciple of Christ. But if we lower the standard, everybody seems to be a disciple of Christ. Though it seems kind of tricky, doesn't it? The simple answer to all of this is that the new commandment is new because it is not love your neighbor as you love yourself at all. It is not that. It is not some kind of declension of that. It is not some qualitatively the same thing as that, but a little bit different or a nuanced version of that. It is utterly new and unique. Forget the old commandment when you're thinking of the new commandment. It's different. A new commandment I give unto you. Love one another as I have loved you. So what is it? If we consider the context of the whole Gospel of John, and if we consider 1 John, John's letter, which you should know is essentially an amplification of the Gospel of John. All the themes in the Gospel of John are dealt with in the first letter of John. They're expanded upon, they're explained. And if you consider 1 John and the whole context of the Gospel of John, I believe, brothers and sisters, it becomes clear that what Jesus is speaking about with this new commandment, he's speaking about a commandment that proves that we love him, not a commandment that proves that we are good, loving people in general. Okay? The new commandment to love one another is a commandment that proves What do we think about Jesus and what do we do with Jesus and do we love him? And if someone keeps the new commandment, the conclusion is not, wow, what a kind, awesome person that is. The conclusion of someone who keeps the new commandment is that's someone who loves Jesus. We are to love the disciples of Jesus, he's telling us, because he, Jesus, loves them and are his. That's why I'm to love them. I'm to love them for his sake. So in other words, my, my reason for loving the disciples is this, because Jesus loves them, because Jesus saved them, because they are Jesus's sheep, because they are Jesus's people, and for that reason, I love them. And when you see someone loving them, you realize, oh, this is someone who loves Jesus. This is someone who doesn't hate Jesus. The clause, as I have loved you. Look with me there in verse 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another even as I have loved you. When we think about the new commandment in this way, as I have loved you is not a clause that primarily tells us the degree to which we are to love but it is a clause that tells us that we are to love these people because Christ loved these people. Do you see the difference? If you could underline that clause, you would underline, as I have loved 
you, and you would underline the word you. Because Jesus loved those people, I'm going to love those people. Look at verse 35. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He doesn't say in verse 35, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if your love for one another is as big as my love when giving my life on the cross for them, if it's to the same degree. You could say, oh, well, the world looks at, it's not the world looks at the Christians and says, oh, they love each other, but they don't love each other enough. So they're not really the disciples of Jesus. All they need to see is that we love each other. And so the focus is on the fact whether you love the disciples or whether you don't. Not about the degree. Let me put it this way. Maybe this will make it clearer. In other words, the love that we're called to imitate in the new commandment is not John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now that's a beautiful verse, isn't it? And it proclaims God's love for the whole world and it's this amazing, unearthly, divine, super abundant love that unconditionally loves sinners who don't deserve it and by grace dies for them and offers them eternal life. And of course we are to imitate that love. I mean, we're told in so many other places that we should love like that. Forgive as Christ has forgiven you, you know. Be kind as Christ was kind to this world. But the new commandment is not telling us to imitate the love of John 3.16, but it's telling us to imitate the love of John 13, verse 1. If you look there with me. It says in John 13, verse 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Do you see that? It's talking about Jesus's particular love for his sheep. It's talking about Jesus's particular love for those who believed in him and those who followed him and those who were his authentic disciples. He loves them. He loves his own and he loves them to the end. And this is the new commandment. It's not love your neighbor as yourself, love everybody. And that's a, that doesn't change. That's true. The new commandment doesn't nullify the old commandment, right? It's not that this new commandment says we don't have to love our neighbor as ourself anymore or be amazed at the love of God for everybody. But the new commandment is pointing us to this special, particular love Jesus has for his own. And he's telling us, love my people. Love my sheep. Love among yourselves, one another, because I have loved you. Because I love you. Because I love my own and because I love them to the end. Love these people also. Marcus Dodds, the commentator, is saying the same thing. It was new because the love of Christ's friends for Christ's sake was a new thing in the world. 
the love of Christ's friends for Christ's sake. I'm loving you because you're a Christian, and I'm loving you for Christ's sake because he loves you. And because you love him, I'm loving you. Do you see this? So this isn't Jesus' universal, sacrificial, unconditional love he's talking about here. It's Jesus' particular, fraternal delight in his disciples that he's talking about here. I say it's not unconditional because Jesus himself talks about a love that is not unconditional. He says, first of all, he unconditionally loves us as sinners, right? But then he says, if you believe in me, my Father will love you, right? And I will love you, and we will come and make our abode in you. I hope you see that, friends, that the love of Jesus for us is not, it doesn't stop at the unconditional level. Praise God, it starts there, right? If it didn't start there, there'd be no hope for us because that's the only hope we have is that Jesus loved us when we did not love him, right? But we love him because he first loved us. And because we love him and believe that Jesus came from God and have accepted him, he loves us now in a new way. He loves us in a way of delight now. The unconditional way, there's no delight. He, he, can't, he can't stand what we're doing, but he loves us because we need it. The love that he has for his own is because he loves them that they believed in him. They, he loves them because they have accepted the truth. When the rest of the world hates him, when the rest of the world rejected him, his sheep heard his voice and followed him, and he loves them. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? God loves you in so many ways. Turn with me to John 15. And Jesus, as I said, the, the new commandment resurfaces again and again in the farewell discourse. I told you this sermon would raise questions in your mind. In John 15, verse 17, Jesus proceeds to talk about the new camp commandment again. And notice what he says. And notice how he what he's thinking about and how he's thinking when he brings this up again. This I command you, that you love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, what? The world would love its own. You see that? Now, Jesus is not saying here when he says the world would love its own. He's not saying the world in general is kind to each other and is loving his neighbor as they love himself. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a, a love of delight here. He's not talking about a love, unconditional love. He's not saying, you know, if you weren't a Christian, everybody would unconditionally love you. <laughs> He's saying, if you weren't a Christian, everyone would delight in the fact that you're not a Christian. They'd hate you for every other reason, but they'd love you for that reason, right? Oh, they might like you for... They might like you because you, you know, if you find a fellow person who loves soccer, they'll love you for that. But they'll love you for your hatred of Jesus because the world is united in their hatred for Jesus. They'll love their own. 
just like Jesus loves his own and just like he is commanding us in the new commandment to love his own. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, notice, because you are not of the world, here's the reason. But I have chosen you out of the world. Because of this, the world hates you. But we could also change that statement and say, because you are not of the world, because I have chosen you out of the world, because of this, Christians will love you. You see that? So you meet a Christian and you realize he's a Christian. Wow, this is a believer in Jesus. This is someone who doesn't hate the truth but loves the truth. This is someone who Jesus loves as his sheep. This is someone who's saved. This is a child of God. This is my brother. This is someone who is, is a lover of God, not a hater of God. And for that reason, I delight in that person, right? I like this person. <laughs> This is my brother. This is my family. This is my delight. I'm happy that this person believes in Jesus. I'm happy that this person is a, a sheep. I don't hate him for that reason, like the, like the world does, right? I don't, wait a minute, you're one of those Christians? We hate you because we hate Jesus, and we hate his message, and we hate God, so we hate you. There's a chain in verse 21. All these things they will do, for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. Brothers and sisters, if a person hates God, and why, why, does a, why would a person hate God? We've talked about this a lot. Why would a person hate God? I hate that you created me, God. No. I hate that you exist. No. But I hate you, God, because of who you are, right? I hate the fact that you're totally righteous and totally pure, and I hate the fact that because you're totally righteous and totally pure, all of my righteousnesses are filthy rags. I hate that, right? I hate the fact that, I'm on, that in your sight I'm on an equal level with everybody else. I hate the fact that my works don't count for nothing. And I hate the fact that you accept other people on the basis of grace who don't deserve it. When I deserve it, they don't deserve it. I hate that. We've talked about this a lot, but Jesus brought the truth about who God is into the world, right? He had a whole bunch of people who believed God existed. They believed they loved God. But when Jesus showed up and said, let me tell you who God really is. God is so totally righteous that you're, none of you are righteous. None of you. You're all evil. They didn't like that. And God is so good and loving that he saves people by grace. This is the love of God that he gave his son for us, that we might live through him. By grace, free, faith. You don't have to work for it. Well, we hate that too. We hate his righteousness and we hate his love. That's who God is. And if you hate God, and if you hate the truth, you're going to hate Jesus, who brings the truth. And if you hate Jesus, you're going to hate his disciples, who believe that truth and bring that truth. And so what you do with the disciples shows your heart attitude towards Christ and towards God and towards truth. That's what Jesus is talking about. Do you delight in the brothers or not? Do you delight in Christ or not? Do you delight in God or not? Do you delight in the truth or not? Because in as much as you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. So here's what we need to ask ourselves. Do I love the brethren? And please don't ask them, don't ask yourself, do I unconditionally love the brethren? The answer is no. 
You don't. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> if, you, if you ask yourself that, you're just going to come up short. And then you're going to say, I'm not a Christian, and Jesus gave an impossible commandment. Do you delight in the brethren? That's the question. And not do you delight in them because they're nice, because they are your same whatever, but do you delight in them for the truth's sake and for Christ's sake? Do you delight in them or hate them for that reason? Don't ask, do I love them as I love myself? Do I love them in the same unconditional degree? But do I delight in them? And if you can say that, and, I, and every Christian can, by the way. Every Christian can say, I love the, the Christians because of Jesus and because of the truth and because of God. Then we can identify you and you can identify yourself and the world can identify you as a follower of Jesus. <clears throat> by this all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. Now that might mean persecution. The world might recognize, hey, here's someone who's a disciple of Jesus. And they might persecute you. It doesn't mean by this all men will be converted to Jesus. It just means you're going to be identified. So when they're throwing Christians in jail and you don't stand up with everyone and curse them, then they'll identify you. Now, there's also a concrete aspect to this as well, practical aspect. At the theological level, the new covenant or the new commandment to love one another is a command every Christian fulfills at the theological level. If you have believed in Jesus, just believing in him shows you don't hate the truth and you're open to the truth. Just that fact means that you love all the brothers. Just by believing, you can say, I have love for one another. I have love for the, for the sheep of God because I have love for the shepherd. Okay, so at the theological level, every Christian loves the brothers, and you can say that if you are a believer in Jesus. But there's also a practical level to this, and the practical level is a call to concretely manifest the love that we already possess. That is just manifested. It's not by, by acting and manifesting it, you then, will, then you're loving. No, no. You, you have the love or you don't. You can try to manifest it all day long, and if you don't have it, it's not going to do anything. But you can have that love and still just sit in your room all day, right? At the practical level, we are called to concretely manifest the love that we possess. What this means is we, we can serve each other in a billion different ways from giving a cup of cold water to one another simply because that person is a disciple of Jesus to the most extreme thing, laying down our life for each other. But whether it's giving merely a cup of cold water to one another or whether it's laying down our life for one another, if it is done because we delight in them as the, as the believers of Jesus, we are showing that we have that love within ourselves. The critical thing is whether we have it whether we love the truth, God, and Christ. So please don't think, my goodness, I haven't laid down my life for a Christian and I must not have love for one another. If you can give a cup of cold water, Jesus said, to a, to a Christian just because they're my disciple, that is, that's the reason, 
Keith, the reason why I'm giving you some water, the reason why I'm doing it is because you're a disciple of Jesus. I love Jesus and I love you. That's why I'm doing it. That shows I have the love for one another. And no person who is, a, who is of the world can do that. As simple as giving a, cup of, a bottle of water to somebody, a non-Christian, someone who's not born again, could never give a bottle of water to a Christian for the sake of righteousness and truth. They could never do it, ever. But they could pass out bottles of water to you all day long for other reasons, right? Because you're a neighbor. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Because I like you. Because you're my brother and my family. Because, you know, all sorts of reasons, but not ever for truth's sake and righteousness' sake and God's sake. You see that? So, the call to love one another is the call, first of all, to love God, to love Jesus, to love truth and believe, but it is also a call to concretely manifest that love toward one another in a billion different ways. And the beautiful thing is as we concretely serve one another, we are manifesting the love of God to each other. Hey man, I'm not, I'm not giving you this water because I think you're cool or you know, a really good person or I'm giving you this cup of water. I know you're a sinner, but I'm giving you this cup of water because God loves you Amen. and because you're righteous through faith. I'm giving you this cup of water because you're a sheep of God. And we're manifesting the grace of God and the love of God in a world that doesn't even love, that doesn't even know the love of God. I'd just like to conclude this morning with a fresh exhortation for us to love one another. If you're not a Christian, what that means is believe. Don't hate the disciples of Jesus for the truth that they bring. They're bringing the truth of God. Love them for it. Believe it. But if you're not a Christian, the call to love one another is the call to believe. Love God and accept his truth. But if you are a Christian, the call to love one another is just to manifest the love that you already have. And Jesus gave us that commandment because he was leaving, because we're here with, with each other, and he knows that we need one another. We need the encouragement. We need to experience Christ's love from each other. Amen? And we also have the supreme privilege of loving Christ through our love for the brothers. So if you think to yourself, man, Jesus is so awesome. I wish he was here so I could serve him and love him. Well, guess what? You can. You can serve God and you can serve Jesus by loving one another in concrete ways and manifesting your delight in the truth and in who God is. So I just want to, that's the meaning of the new commandment. But let me just encourage us all, little children, we are loved by God. Amen? Yeah. Every single Christian is loved by God. And little children, every single Christian is needy, right? We need help in this crazy world while Jesus is gone, in a sense, right? Yeah. Let us love one another concretely for Christ's sake. Let us serve one another, bless one another, care for one another, 
give water to each other and every other billion thing that falls between that and laying down our lives for one another for the true sake, for righteousness sake, and for Christ's sake in a world that hates us for those same reasons. By this we are identified. This is our mandate. And this is our blessed tie to Christ. So little children, let us love one another. Stand with me and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great love and the truth of who you are. And it's such an honor to be here this morning with people, with your people who love you, Lord, who rejoice in who you are, who rejoice in your righteousness, who rejoice in your son's death, who rejoice in our hope in grace. Lord, it's just an honor and a privilege. And we just thank you for who you are this morning. We thank you for your great love. And Lord, I just pray for all of us here that are your sheep, Lord, that we would, we would grow in our understanding of, your, of both your unconditional love for sinners and also your love of delight for your people. I just pray we would grow in our understanding of how very much we are secure in you and how much you delight in us, how much, Lord, we are your sheep and you care for us. And I just pray, Father, that you would help us to see that for ourselves and for each one who knows you, and that we would, Lord, um, we would walk in concrete, practical love for one another, manifesting the love we already possess because we're your children and we're your belie- we are believers in you, Lord. So help us to serve and love one another, I pray. And Lord, if there's anyone here who is not a believer in Christ, who doesn't understand who you are, Lord, who doesn't understand righteousness through faith alone, and the gift of God. We just pray, Lord, that you would reveal to them your unconditional love. And Father, that you would open their heart to that, that they would not reject it, but they would believe, and that they would join us in the family of God. We pray for our loved ones, Lord, our, our, our family members and our friends who, who do not love you and who do not believe in the truth. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to show them your love, the unconditional love that you have shown at the cross that you would invite them, you would bring them in, Lord, we pray. We, you, would, you would draw them to yourself and use us, Father. Thank you so much for this time. Take this word and implant it in our hearts, Lord, for your glory. Amen.